Oh Lord, may the words in my mouth and may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it is a scene that can only be described as controlled chaos. See, uh, Brendan, Patrick, and Sean uh, were born uh, just a couple of minutes apart at a hospital in western Pennsylvania. And for years, uh, their parents had been praying for a child, and for years, their parents had thought uh, that those prayers were going to go unanswered. That's when, uh, almost two decades ago, their parents discovered the good news. One night over dinner, their mom looks at their dad and says, I'm pregnant. Now, to this point in the story that this, uh, this couple, these parents, so they do uh, what most parents tend to do. They go to the doctor, and the doctor performs an ultrasound, and, and that's when the doctor tells these parents uh, that you better be careful with what you pray for, because they weren't just going to have one baby, and they weren't just going to have two babies. Uh, they were going to have three baby boys. They are going to have triplets. That's why I describe the scene in their house as, uh, as controlled chaos, uh, because as these babies uh, begin to grow up, that's exactly what their house is like. And as you can probably imagine, uh, these babies got a lot of practice sharing things. But occasionally, a fight would break out about whose toy this is and, uh, and whose socks those are. And that brings us to another story that happens about five years later. See, this family's pastor has uh, an opportunity uh, to go and visit them at their house. And shortly after he gets there, a fight breaks out uh, between two of these boys. Give it to me, Brendan says. That's my fire truck. And yet, as soon as he says this, his brother Sean responds, no, it isn't. It's mine. Now, to this point, uh, that if you're sitting in their living room, you think that World War III might just erupt, and yet that's not what happens. See, their mom uh, looks at these two boys, and without even raising her voice, she simply asks them, whose name is on it? Whose name is on that toy? That's when these two boys, uh, they turn the toy over and print it on the back. In black magic marker is the word Sean. So Sean hands the toy to his brother. Here you go. Belongs to you. And, uh, and that's when their mom uh, explains, I put their names on everything. I put it on their clothing, I put it on their toys, I put it on their coats. Their name is on everything. That way when a fight breaks out, the answer is always clear. Just look down and you'll see who it belongs to. Now it's a fun story. Um, and it, it certainly makes me think about some of the things that uh, Andrea and I do in our house uh, to keep the peace and, uh, and keep fights from breaking out. And uh, maybe as you hear this story, uh, it makes you think about some of the, the techniques that you have used uh, in your house to do the same. Uh, but even more than that, this story reminds me about the reading we just heard. As, uh, as two very different groups of people come together and set a trap for Jesus. 
You see, these two different groups of people, they think they've got him. And yet that's when Jesus responds with a very simple question. That question uh, is essentially, whose name is on it? As we dig into this story, uh, what we're going to discover is that Jesus uses this question to diffuse a very tense situation almost 2,000 years ago. That's what he does in the past. Uh, But the way Jesus uses this question today is a little different. See, Jesus uses this question to change the way in which you and I and everyone else sees ourselves and the world all around us. And, and, and when we see the world that way, it has the power to change the way that you and I see everything. And so it's with, uh, with those thoughts in mind uh, that, uh, that we arrive at today's reading. As the scene rises on this story, there are a couple things you need to know. Uh, first, this story takes place on the Tuesday after Palm Sunday. Two days ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and in the two days since he entered Jerusalem, he's upset just about every single leader living in Jerusalem. And so that's the first thing you need to know. The second thing is this. These two groups of people that come together in today's reading, they don't like each other. They're sort of like oil and water, and yet there's something about Jesus that makes them overcome those odds because they want to set a trap to get him. Now, the first of these groups is the Pharisees. Uh, They're the group in today's reading that we're probably more familiar with, and you can sort of think about them as uh, the religious legalists of their day. I mean, they've combed the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, in search of what God expects, and then they've devoted their lives to telling people exactly what that is. And so the first group of people is the Pharisees, and they're very religious. The second group of people in today's reading, uh, they are not very religious. They are called the Herodians. And, uh, and just like the Pharisees, this group of people, they're ethnically Jewish, uh, but they're more like a political party. And uh, by the time we get to today's story, they have devoted themselves for about 100 years to keeping King Herod, hence Herodians, uh, to keeping King Herod and his descendants in power. And so that's the Herodians. Uh, they're not so religious. Instead, they're kind of political. And so you got these two groups of people, and they don't like each other. And yet there's something about Jesus that threatens both of them because he undermines what they believe. See, for the Pharisees, uh, Jesus is undermining their religion. He's been going around, spending time with uh, those who are sinful, those who are tax collectors. Uh, He welcomes people who are both religiously and physically unclean, and then he's been forgiven them without even telling them they need to go offer a sacrifice in the temple. And so Jesus is undermining everything the Pharisees believe. But for the Herodians, Jesus is undermining their politics. You see, uh, Jesus has become very popular. He's just entered Jerusalem, and now people are calling him the Messiah. And everybody knows that the Messiah is the guy who comes to town to kick out the people who are occupying the city, people like King Herod and his descendants. 
and the Romans. And so the Pharisees and the, Sadd- uh, the, Pharisees and the Herodians, they don't like each other, uh, but they don't like Jesus even more. And we got in today's reading is one of these, uh, the enemy of my enemy is really my friend sort of situations. And they've come to trap Jesus in a question about money, uh, and more specifically taxes. Now to this point uh, that I probably should say a word or two about taxes in the ancient world. Uh, The ancient uh, Jews, first century Jews, they paid all sorts of taxes. They paid temple taxes and grain taxes and property taxes. And so the issue that is brought up here isn't an issue about taxes in general. The issue here is an issue about one particular tax specifically. And that tax is the tax that is paid to Caesar. This is a tax that the Jews would pay to the Roman government to fund their own occupation and oppression. And so you can begin to understand why nobody likes this tax. But the Herodians have kind of learned to live with it. And that's because this tax maintains the status quo. The Romans are in power and the Herodians are working with them, but this tax is absolutely unacceptable for the Pharisees. And and, and part of that has to do with the coin that they would pay this tax with. It's a Roman denarius, not a Jewish shekel, a Roman denarius that has the inscription, uh, the image of Caesar engraved on it, and then his title, a proclamation of his divinity written under that. And so this tax is very controversial, And no matter how Jesus responds to this question, as Anthony just told us, he's going to get in trouble. If Jesus says to these two groups who've come together, it's not lawful to pay for this tax, then Jesus is committing an act of sedition. He's encouraging people to rebel against the Romans, uh, something that the Herodians already believe Jesus is doing, and they want him to get in trouble for But, on the other hand, if Jesus says, you know what, yes, it is lawful to pay this tax, then he's suggesting that obeying Caesar is more important than being faithful to the God of Israel, something that the Pharisees already believe Jesus is doing, and they want him to get in trouble for. And so Jesus finds himself stuck in this bind, but what we discover in today's reading is that Jesus outsmarts the foxes. See, instead of saying yes or no, he, uh, he turns the conversation on its head. He tells the Pharisees and the Herodians, you know what? Show me one of those coins. I want to look at it. And so they pull out a denarius. And that's when Jesus asks the question, you know, whose image is on that coin? Whose inscription? Everyone knows the answer to this question. It's Caesar's image on that coin. Caesar's inscription. And what he does next is, uh, is really clever, because what he essentially says is, well, it looks like that coin belongs to him. I should give it back. Sort of like if you were walking down the street and found someone's driver's license, you know, it wouldn't belong to you, so you should probably give it back. And, uh, and the word that Jesus uses, that's exactly what it means. It means to give back or to return. Give back or return to Caesar what belongs to him. 
And that's when he adds that one last little line at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, but don't forget to give back to God what belongs to God. Now, a little earlier in our sermon, uh, I said uh, that Jesus uses a question. Essentially, whose name is on it to diffuse a very tense situation about 2,000 years ago? And, you know, I love this story. I love this story because Jesus outsmarts the people who are trying to get him. You see, I also said uh, that the way that this story impacts us is very different than the way that it would have impacted those two groups of people who are out to get us. That's because Jesus isn't trying to outsmart us, and, uh, and we're not out to get Jesus. Instead, what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to change the way in which we see ourselves and our world all around us. He does that with uh, that little statement at the end of the reading. He looks at the Pharisees, and he looks at the Herodians, and he says, give to God what is God's. You know, the more you think about uh, what Jesus says, uh, the more you're going to find yourself wondering, well, you know, what exactly belongs to God? I mean, is Jesus just talking about money in today's reading? And the answer is that Jesus is talking about money. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The book of Haggai says. But he's not just talking about money. Uh, he's talking about everything there is. Because as Psalm 24 says, uh, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Uh, but then there's one more thing uh, that Jesus is talking about. One more thing that Jesus, that God has put his image on. And that thing is you. You were created in the image of God, and not only that, you were redeemed by him. I called you by name. You are mine. And so what does God own and what belongs to him? You do. So does your money, and so does everything else. And, and when you begin to see the world through this lens, it begins to change the way in which you see yourselves and everything all around you. Now, in the story that I told at the beginning of our sermon, uh, one of those triplets, uh, a boy named Brendan, looks at his brother who's playing with a fire truck and says, give it to me. It's mine. You know, the temptation we face is, uh, is the temptation to do something like this. Uh, to look at our lives, or to look at our money, or to look at our time, or to look at our world and say that it's mine, or that it's yours, or that, you know, it really belongs to them. When the reality is, it all belongs to God. He made it, he redeemed it, and so it belongs to him. And, and the words that Jesus speaks today, they, they challenge me, they challenge us, uh, because we live in a world that's marred by sin, and it's really hard in our world to believe what's really real. I mean, it's really hard uh, to think about our time, to look at our calendar and remember that it really belongs to the Lord. It's really hard to think about our money and remember that it really belongs to the Lord. It's really hard to, to think about the dreams that we have for the future and remember that 
that all of it, all of it belongs to the Lord. And yet, uh, what Jesus' words do today is they invite us. They invite us to consider what really is real. See, the reality is that none of these things belong to me and none of these things belong to you. And, and I think intuitively, deep down, we know this because we know how fast, how quick, how easily these things can get ripped away. And yet the good news that Jesus shares with us today is that God made everything, including you. And uh, in a world marred by sin, he redeems those who trust in him. I mean, Jesus died on Caesar's cross so that you would belong to him. And now what Jesus invites us to do is to simply trust what's really real, that you belong to him, and and so does your time, and so does your money, and so does your future. It all belongs to him. And so the question that Jesus leaves us with is the same question that Sean and Brendan's mom asks them, whose name is on it? And when you begin to trust that God's name is on everything, even you, it changes the way you see the world. Because all of a sudden, the stuff you have, it isn't your stuff. It belongs to God. And uh, and the place you live, it isn't your house or your landlord's house. It's God's house, and he lets you live there. And, And you don't pay for these things with your money. You pay for it with the money that God gives you, and he lets you earn that money with the gifts that he gives you. And so when you look into a mirror, what you don't see is a lawyer. You see someone who executes the justice of God. You don't see a teacher. You see someone who is a conduit for the wisdom of God. And and you don't see a nurse or a lab tech or, or an occupational therapist. You see someone who brings the healing presence of Christ even to people who may not know him. And we could go on and on. And, uh, and yeah, we, we get this wrong. Sometimes we get this wrong more than we get it right. And yet Jesus reminds us that whoever we are, come what may, we belong to him. And now we get to live that way. We get to live like that is really real to the glory of God and for the hope of the world, both this day and every day. In the name of Jesus, amen.